0: Let me ask you to turn to the book of Jonah. We've had a couple of weeks of uh, mission focus, and uh, some of you have asked if you can still turn in cards for your faith mission giving. Uh, The answer is yes. Uh, We're going to be uh, doing a final total later this month, so uh, there is a box down in uh, uh, the entryway. On the lower level, or you can give it to one of the ushers. Uh, and if you uh, need a little bit more time, uh, feel free to either. A number of folks brought it by this week. Uh, bring it by or um, send it in. We appreciate that. As we go back to uh, the book of Jonah, God had. Called Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach. You remember what Jonah's reaction was. He determined he was going to go as far and as fast the other direction as he possibly could. So he headed out to Tarshish. God shows his sovereignty by. Hurling a great storm, that's the the biblical word there, uh, toward that ship that he was on to the point where the sailors were convinced, these experienced sailors were convinced they were going down. They did everything humanly possible to prevent that. Ultimately, they found Jonah. Jonah said, it's because of me. And evidently, in some way, explained he was running from God. And so they said, What do we do? He said, Well, throw me over. They still resisted, tried some other things. And uh, then they said, Well, maybe we should throw him over, which they did. And when they did, the storm was calmed, there was revival on the ship and uh, repentance among those who had sought out other gods. Jonah didn't know that, at least not at that time, because he was underwater. He was going to the bottom of the ocean, but as the Word of God says, God appointed a fish. And like the storm, the fish obeyed God better than Jonah did. He swallowed Jonah, Jonah was in the belly of that fish for three days, three nights. During that time, he didn't know he would be getting out or whatever. He didn't know the outcome of it, but evidently God worked in his heart. We read and studied the the prayer of Jonah from that belly, which was made up primarily primarily of other scripture, scripture that surely he would have memorized and he knew. And, and you know, when, when you don't know what to say to God, use his word. And uh, he did that. And so God used that fish he had appointed for him to be spit up onto dry land. And then... He calls Jonah again and tells him to go to Nineveh. This time, Jonah goes. What his attitude was, you know, it's, it's up in the air, but what we see is when he preached, he preached probably the bare minimum, but he preached the part that he was okay with, And that was, you're going to be destroyed here pretty soon. And that was all he had to say, which uh, is a humbling thing for preachers. It wasn't a convincing sermon. It wasn't anything. Uh, It was just that statement. and, And what happened? There was repentance. Everyone there repented right up to the king. And so God relented. And we dealt with all the issues uh, potentially surrounding the idea of God relenting. But what we saw was that it was, it was that threat with the implied condition that if, if you repent, then I will not destroy you. And so... We, we come to the end of that part where uh, he relents, and here's where we pick it up in chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country. That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat uh, under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you use this account? We we recognize this isn't just a story. This isn't some fable. It's not a parable. It's a historic account. And you saw fit to record it in detail and and to show things that probably few in that day even knew about, and then you saw fit to preserve it for us today, and so Lord, will you apply it by your Holy Spirit, will you teach us today, we ask for this in Jesus' precious name, amen. So take a look at his anger. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And that's why I decided to call this series Grappling with Grace. Because that's what we see again and again in this particular book. You might think that you know, the, the Ninevites' repentance and then God relenting would have been a great place to end the book, wouldn't it? You know, there we could see, uh, okay, well, God uh, showed his mercy, and we have basically a happy ending where you have the the Ninevites living happily ever after because they repented and they, they wanted to follow God. And then you have Jonah who had some struggles, but then he came round in the end. He came round and, you know, perhaps have the ending with him there ministering among the Ninevites, those who formerly he hated. Wouldn't that have been a great ending for this book? And then we have chapter 4. And it's nothing like that. And that's the part that a lot of times people will, will skip over because it's, so, it's like, what, what's this all about? And yet, one thing you need to take away from that is uh, that just reminds us again of the truth of the Word of God. You know, if I was going to, if I was going to make up a story, that's probably what I would have had at the end. I would have had a resolve, a resolution. And then you tuck in your child and they go to sleep. But here we see this is real life. And, and this shows the integrity of, of the Word of God and, and the integrity of what He wants communicated that this isn't just a a kid's story. This is the way it goes sometimes. I like how R.T. Kendall addressed it. Jonah had such a marvelous revelation of God's mercy and grace to him that, humanly speaking, we might expect that he would never have a serious problem again. For after once seeing God in this extraordinary way in his own life, that should set him up for life. What we see instead is that that growth in grace is not about a one-time thing. Don't ever kid yourself that that's the case. So here we see Jonah halting again and and even being angry. Take a look at uh, verse 2 then. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? Now Jonah is telling God, I told you so. That's never, let's just you know, put it out here, that's never a very attractive thing. But when you're talking to God, that's not an appropriate thing to say. Didn't I tell you this would happen? You'd be merciful? <laughs> As if God didn't know. And so that's how he begins. He says, That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Now, I do want to, because I've, we've been hard on Jonah. Um, I. I I do want to acknowledge this. The good thing we see here is that Jonah still prayed. That's one thing that he he did right, not that that was the only thing, but it is one thing. He didn't pout even though that would have fit with his other actions. He didn't give God the silent treatment. We might have even pictured that, but he prayed. Even though it was to express anger. Now let me let you in on a, a little secret that uh, that I say to people a lot of times. Maybe I've said it to you at some point. When people talk to me about whatever the issue is, and they say something like, "Well, I, I'm really angry, and I think I'm angry at God," and I, but you know, I don't want to, I don't want to yell at him or. Or talk to him about it. Here's generally what I tell people I say, first of all, don't worry about God. He can take care of himself, He's the creator of the universe, He can handle your anger. He already knows you're angry. But secondly, I often tell people this as well. And you know what? He even understands why you might be angry. The reason I know that he understands is because I can understand why you might feel some anger in your situation. And if I can understand, I know that God is a whole lot more understanding than I am. And so... Talk to him. Tell him those feelings that you have there and deal with it with him. And so, Jonah does that. But look, look what we see here. He, he knew of God's attributes. The first sermon series I preached here at St. Andrews I'm only saying this for those of you that weren't here for my first sermon series. I know if you were, you would say, "Oh yeah, we remember that exactly." What your first, anyway, for my first sermon series here at St. Andrew's was on the attributes of God. In fact, um, that's uh, in in the uh, several churches that I've served in my ministry. That's where I've started each time, and here's why: when I was in seminary. I had a, a professor that I had a great deal of respect for. And he said, when you go to uh, a new church to serve, um, don't begin with, with theology or, or, you know, the Westminster Confession of Faith or anything like that. Start with a series on the attributes of God because then everything else that you preach after that will be based upon that. And I thought, what, a, what, a great, what great advice. And I've taken that. And so we see that Jonah actually understood this, the attributes of God. Look at what Jonah said. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love relenting from disaster he understood all that in fact he knew he knew that firsthand because god had treated him and his people that way but the sad thing is that knowing those attributes and still instead of Realizing, yes, Lord, I I know I'm the beneficiary of that. And instead of that driving him to worship, when God applied those same attributes toward others, he was angry. And that's the sad thing we see here. Jonah was also selfish. He wanted God's mercy, and he didn't want the Ninevites to have it. I am convinced that while Jonah might have admitted that he was a sinner, if you had pressed him that he would have said something like, "Well, yes, I'm a sinner, but I'm not a sinner like those Ninevites." see, we can tend to to have these different categories. You know, the implication here is basically, I'm a sinner, but I kind of deserve your mercy because I'm not like them, and they don't deserve that kind of mercy. Those are bad sinners. Here's the thing. Jack Miller used to say, cheer up, you're worse than you think. But then he would go on to say, but you're more loved than you can ever imagine. And that's the beauty of grace and the gospel. He misunderstood grace. The minute you think you deserve grace more than someone else, it means you don't understand grace. If it's deserved, it's not grace at all. It's not mercy, if you think it's deserved. So every time we say God isn't being fair, we show we don't understand grace. Whether it's not being fair for forgiving someone who's been evil, or if we say he's unfair because he has elected some to salvation. That's a misunderstanding of grace. Because that is favor that no one deserves and no one can deserve. And that's what Jonah was grappling with. Look at his immaturity. Verse 3. Therefore now... Oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Now, that's basically the second time Jonah said that. Throw me overboard. I'd rather die than go preach to the Ninevites. And we're going to see him say it again. So he's basically saying to God, if if you don't play by my rules, I'm going to take my ball and go home. That's why I call it immaturity. That's basically what he's saying here. Implying that his ways are better than God's ways. One commentator said, Jonah was saying, if the Assyrians are in on the love of God, then Jonah wanted out. But look at God's, Patience, his nurture. Verse 4. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Now, that's not really the way we talk, but it's basically like Jonah. You know how we might say with our children, Is that a good reaction? Is that how you should be reacting? To this, I am so thankful that I'm not God. I know you are too. Here's another example, though. I'm afraid if I were God, I would be saying, Jonah, you've just gotten on my last nerve here. And we don't see that. In fact, we see him continuing to work with Jonah, this prophet of God in such a, such a wonderful place, relationship with God who has benefited so greatly and seems to be making bad choices and even sinful choices at every point. And yet we see God still working with him. We're going to move to the last part of this uh, chapter next week, and we will see God continues. It's a very uh, different kind of an ending as well. If you've gone ahead and read that, you know that. It's like, okay, who saw that coming? <laughs> but we'll, we'll look into that next week. But here's what we see with Jonah. Look at verse 5. We see him lacking for uh, forgiveness. Jonah went out of the city... Sat to the east of the city. And by the way, we don't even see him answering at this point, do we? Whether he did or not, it's not, not recorded. But basically, we, it says that he went out of the city, sat on the east of the city, made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade <clears throat> until he should see what would become of the city. So here's the scene instead of rejoicing over repentance, by the way, like evidently, as the Scripture says, all of heaven was doing, instead of joining in that rejoicing, he's upset that God is showing mercy. God gently deals with him. And so his response is, I'm going to go get me a good seat up on, you know, the front row seat to see the destruction of these wretched people. And so he goes out, he builds a booth, some kind of a tent or, or uh, some kind of a temporary structure, and he sits down, still evidently hoping... That God was going to relent from His relent, right? That even though God relented, and uh, uh, in His His perfect, He had a perfect right to have that as the condition, and He's still hoping. Well, maybe somebody will mess up in there, and then God will swoop in and destroy Nineveh, and I'm going to be here to see that. And I suspect he would have said to God again, see, I told you. I suspect that was somewhere in his heart. He was just unwilling to forgive like God had forgiven. And not only that, he was unhappy that God had forgiven. So what about us? Where is application for us, Well, we need to know this, that being unforgiving is going to hurt our relationship with God. Now, it's a given it's going to hurt our relationship with others, but it's also going to hurt our relationship with God. I want you to listen to Jesus and Paul. Jesus says this in Matthew 5. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. How important is reconciliation? How important is forgiveness and being forgiven? well, I don't, I don't know of anything that's more important than worship, but here what he's saying is, if you're going to worship, and you remember that, that there's something between you and, and a brother or a sister, drop your offering, go fix it, and then come back and worship. And you know what? That applies specifically to this table as well. Why is that? Why is that so important? Well, you've been forgiven. And and the response, the proper response to being a forgiven person is to forgive others. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew 6. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now we dealt with that a great deal when we were uh, looking at the Lord's Prayer. This isn't a way to manipulate God. Okay, I'll forgive and then He has to forgive me and that's how it seems to work. Not at all. But here's the problem. If If you harbor unforgiveness in your life, then the question is, what's your relationship with, with God Himself, who through Christ paid for your forgiveness? What are you doing to uh, in, in terms of what are you indicating by being unwilling to forgive others? And that's a dangerous place to be. Paul in Colossians 3 talks about bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. He never just says forgive. He says forgive like you've been forgiven. And so what that does is it should take us all the way back to when we recognized the truth of the gospel. The gospel, which is that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin. And so my, my sin was given to him, imputed to him, and then his. His righteous, His perfect life is imputed to us. What is evidence of that? Well, it's that Christ is in us. And so, if you're in that dilemma, the question is this. If you find yourself where Jonah is, Unable to forgive someone else, especially someone else that God has forgiven. Do you believe that Jesus is capable of forgiving the person or people you can't forgive? Answer that question in your mind. Is God capable of forgiving that person? If not, that's where you begin because you don't understand forgiveness. The answer is yes, of course he's capable of forgiving. He's the one that's been offended. And then if you're, if you're saying, yes, I, I, I do believe that I've been forgiven, then the question is, do you believe that Christ lives within you? You see, that's, that's what happens is that He comes and He dwells within us. So when we talk about Jesus being in our heart or the Holy Spirit being within us, that's what we're talking about. Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. So we have a union with Him. And so there's going to come a time, if you, if you find yourself like Jonah, where you've got to say this, look, I, I can't forgive That person. I don't have the strength to forgive that person. But Christ in me, Christ in me can forgive that person. And you've got to utterly rely upon that in order to forgive. So we need the strength that can only come from him. And so this table, which is so many things and has so many applications, is also that table where we can gain the strength to forgive. Here's what the Scripture says about this table. Paul said, I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So here's the application from what we talked about today. If you say, yes, I, I, I am in Christ, but there's that person or those people that I cannot forgive. I will not forgive. Even after you've, you've heard how, how we, we must do that, relying on Christ. If you say, I'm, I can't. Well, then here's what you need to do. When the element comes by you, you just, you, you just pass it to the next person. We're not going to judge each other people who are at that point. Now, you, don't, you can't leave it there. You can't just say, okay, well, I'll just quit taking communion because you will weaken yourself and you will weaken your spiritual life if, if, if that happens. And so, uh, but rather than just to pretend, even though there's unforgiveness in there, Paul's Paul's warning against that. He's saying, no, you know, you would be eating and drinking judgment on yourself. Don't do that. But here's the better way. If you've had unforgiveness in your heart, deal with it. Deal with it by asking, asking Christ to forgive you for being unforgiving. And then ask him, to nourish you and give you strength so that then you can, you can really forgive. Christ in you can forgive that person or those people. And then partake with joy, knowing that he loves to answer that prayer for his children. That's why he went to the cross for us.